1: This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday
2: Injustice.
1: Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Decarcerate Sacramento. Decarcerate Sacramento is a grassroots organization that formed over last summer to oppose Sacramento County's proposed $89 million jail expansion plan and instead get the board to invest in vital social services. The mission of the organization is a campaign building power among Sacramento County residents to stop the Board of Supervisors' current $89 million SB 1022 jail expansion plan, power to get our community members and ourselves out of the cages dramatically reducing jail populations and power to turn vision into reality as we build the community alternatives and interventions that affirm wellness and quality of life for all Sacramento residents. We see this massive expansion and simultaneous increase in the sheriff's department budget while cutting vital social services in virtually every other department as an untenable path forward that will cause actual harm in the lives of Sacramento residents for decades to come. We welcome to the show, Decarcerate Sacramento.
2: Hi there, thank you so much for having us. My name's Courtney Hansen. I'm an organizer with Decarcerate Sacramento. Um, grew up here in Sacramento, um, and happy to be here and, and talk about the movement.
0: Hi, my name is Robert Cummings. I'm also with Decarcerate Sacramento.
1: So maybe you guys can talk uh, briefly about how you got involved in this and why it is that you're in opposition to jail expansion.
2: Um, the reasons are, are pretty endless as far as why we need to oppose the expansion of the carceral system in Sacramento. And there's so many other things that that need and deserve the funding that actually keep us safe and healthy. Um, I got into this work around 2011. Um, Uh, And really was moved out of my seat because of a personal experience I had um, interacting with the system. And it is just very clear that human rights abuses are ongoing and inevitable. And and, uh, when you put people in cages, and Sacramento is particularly egregious when it comes to this. Um, And at a time when the county was considering expanding our jail system, we were seeing that they were cutting Literally every other departmental budget at the county level. So, social services that prevent incarceration um, when the sheriff's budget continues to increase every single year.
1: I was, Robert, I was uh, hoping you could kind of tell us about how you got involved in all this.
0: Well, I took a great interest in Decarcerate Sacramento. Um, I went to one of their community forum meetings was invited by a friend, and uh, I was really impressed with all the uh, grassroot effort. Um, and there were other orgs there that were there to uh, support. Um, I I uh, met some people there that I had seen um, at Board of Supervisors and a couple of other uh, gatherings, and um, I introduced myself and got to know them really well and have become part of Decarcerate. Um, Since uh, last summer, Um, I'm very proud to be with them.
1: And it seems like you guys were able to very quickly mobilize. You formed over the summer, and by the end of the year, you had actually gotten uh, the county to back off the expansion proposal. Can you talk about that effort?
2: Yeah, really incredible community work. I mean, it was such a collective effort with such a broad-based diverse coalition and wouldn't have been possible otherwise Um, and I think you know Robert's a great example because he's just an incredible organizer jumped in with us um, uh, soon after we started but I remember seeing you Robert after the first meeting and you were at a separate community meeting representing Decarcerate they said stand up if you're a member of Decarcerate Sacramento and Um, So I think people, we just kind of were shining a light on these backwards budget priorities and ever expanding carceral system and, and people just jumped right into the work. And we did everything we could to make the work accessible and empowering. It's not, you know, everyday people that go to the Board of Supervisors meetings. So we really made it about civic engagement. Um, How to make people feel like, you know, this is your house, this is your money that they're making decisions about, um, and you deserve to be in here shaking things up.
0: Decarcerate uh, was able to expand so fast because of people like me, Um, and I know there are more people like me out there. You know, I was tired of um, some of the injustices I had seen on the streets uh, and encountered myself and with family members who are incarcerated um, sometimes you just want to throw your hands up and shout and that's not doing much. So, um, I told myself I would get in where I can fit in, you know, and start, um, organizing with, uh, as many people, like-minded people as I could, like myself.
1: And why do you think you were successful in being able to stop the expansion?
2: I think... You know, again, to Carcerate Sacramento is a coalition. So you have the Anti-Police Terror Project, the Sacramento Tenants Unit, Sacramento Act. We had medical professionals, students at UC Davis were self-organizing, uh, parents, formerly incarcerated people, um, educators. It's just a very powerful coalition that was incredibly thoughtful about how it moved together. We were careful to work collectively. Um, We monitored every single agenda and every single conversation the Board of Supervisors was having. Um, We insisted that if they were going to talk about expanding the jail, that they also talk about what they're doing to reduce the jail population, which they claim to be doing. So we really kind of tackled that contradiction and I think changed the narrative entirely about um, both this project not being inevitable and it not being acceptable.
0: And I also think that the the fact that so many orgs showed up and um, sp- spoke their minds, um, some of us went over our times, you know, because there was a lot to say. And um, it took a, a lot of persistence and and a lot of people making comments on how they feel for them to realize that it's not just them to decide. It's also up to the community.
2: And we would... Every single Board of Supervisors meeting, you had more and more people and a broader and broader base and more and more refined talking points. So, um, and we met with the supervisors individually. We brought in um, you know, people who had been harmed by the system so they could hear from them directly. We brought in whatever was needed. We brought in an ally with a PhD in applied statistics to talk about what the reality of the sheriff's budget is if we continue down this path. Um, the jail expansion plan would have locked the county into a 30-year operations plan of running a, a more expensive jail. And so we really tackled it from all angles and made sure that there was something for everyone as far as how you get involved. And what was
1: their justification for wanting to expand the jail? It seems like an odd time to want to do that in a time when we have criminal justice reform, arrests are down, crime is down. Why are we expanding so vastly?
2: Well, you're touching on some of our talking points. Um, There's also, so this $80 million that they were going to use was a lease revenue bond from the state. And it really can be traced back to Governor Brown's realignment project of shifting people from state prisons to county jails. And unfortunately, what didn't happen there was getting to the root of the problem. And so you had um, money made available for county jails all across California to try to expand. What we saw was that Los Angeles, uh, the people rose up and canceled their jail plan. San Francisco canceled their jail plan. um, So we knew it was possible here in Sacramento. And the argument behind these expansion projects all across the state is sort of what we call carceral humanism. It's the idea that yes, the system needs to be reformed. Um, We're going to create a better jail, with better services inside. Um, So the RCCC expansion was going to add seven new buildings to the jail and 20-some specialized mental health beds for people with severe psychological disorders. And while... You know, we care very much about the conditions inside, and there are improvements that need to be made. Um, The answer is not expanding the capacity of the system, and it's really unacceptable for us to plan for a future where Sacramento incarcerates people with severe psychological disorders. And so we weren't going to allow the sheriff to absorb more and more resources and sort of become the social service provider.
1: And that kind of anticipates where I want to go with this because, you know, uh, we've covered jail conditions uh, on the Vanguard a number of times over the years. I still remember going into the jail court a few years ago and every single person I talked to were they were either beaten by the police when they were arrested or they were mistreated by the guards who are sheriff's deputies in the jail. Can you talk about uh, things that you're hearing are going on in the jails?
2: The abuses and violations are truly endless. It's almost overwhelming. And the recent class action lawsuit, you know, uplifted a lot of these things. And we support that lawsuit and we support the lawsuit's recommendation to reduce the jail population, which is absolutely possible and would open up doors for us to make some of these improvements to conditions while getting people out and moving away from a system that doesn't work. Um, the Sacramento Bee has, has been reporting on you know, some of these scathing examples of sheriff's deputies just really treating people like they're not human beings, you know, um, breaking their arms during booking. This happens regularly. Um, I'm in touch with women in the jail and there's been a lice outbreak that's going on that is, you know, one of their most pressing issues. um, And is just unacceptable as far as public safety and health um, and subjecting people to these conditions. Um, The lack of medical care. We've had 10 people. Die in our jail, and I would say at least 10 people because it's extremely difficult to find information on these cases. But in the last year, 10 lives gone in the last year, um, most recently Antonio Thomas. But we're talking about literally deadly conditions. And so we're really trying to push this to the Board of Supervisors. These are human rights abuses, and it's urgent to get people out of the jail, to begin to decarcerate, um, get to the root of the problem and hold the sheriff's department accountable.
1: And overall, I mean, why is Sacramento so bad? I, I guess is, is, is one of my questions that I've asked. I, I mean, obviously there's, there's a sheriff in there that, that is kind of indifferent to these issues um, and the Board of Supervisors has been unwilling up until maybe recently to do anything about it.
0: I I think it all trickles down from the top and that's, uh, the sheriff, um, the culture that's created in there can definitely be, um, can be deetered. Um, and I, he just, um, doesn't want to see the other side of the coin. So, uh, it's going to take a lot to get to, to him in his head, what needs to be done.
2: I'll just add that, you know, I don't, have 100 percent the answer to that I have ideas on it but that's sort of the question that we're posing to the board of supervisors why can we not do better you have neighboring counties with similar population sizes that are doing better um 10 deaths in the jail in one year is absolutely egregious I mean one death five deaths absolutely egregious but 10 I mean something needs to be done um The sheriff's department, as we know, is sort of a rogue sheriff's department um, that is unwilling to involve community. We've seen that in the inspector general um, process. Um, So there's a lot of work to be done. And we really see this recent victory as the beginning. Um, It's not, you know, closing up shop and we did the thing. It's really just the beginning to moving toward decarcerating our county. Um, and changing the landscape of how we imagine public safety and allowing community to speak on what public safety actually means for them.
1: And and that's really, you know, where I was going to go with this is, um, yes, you've uh, come together and you've had a, a great early victory, but there's a bigger picture here. Um, so what are your goals?
2: In a overall sense, our goals are to prevent the county from any jail expansion projects you know one of those is now off the table and that was a big lift but we like i said monitor every single agenda um, and want to ensure that no expansion happens we want to reduce the jail population and we're in this for the long haul so we will work with the county to make sure that that happens but we are holding the county accountable it's their job to do this and to come up with an actual comprehensive reduction plan that has goals and milestones and involves the community and has some oversight and then to reinvest our money again into social services and things that keep people safe.
1: Um, So what else are you looking to do in the the coming year?
2: Well, this uh, coming Thursday, actually, if I could just make a quick plug for that, the 30th, um, we're having a community meeting. And so this is something we do periodically. Um, It's It's more kind of opened up than our nitty-gritty organizing meetings, and everybody is invited. Um, This is next Thursday, the 30th, from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at La Familia, the Maple Community Center. Um, And the idea is to open this up and and update the broader community, involve them in in what the next step should look like. It's a way of... um, you know, holding us accountable to what the broader community needs and making sure that this movement continues to grow. And that'll be a chance for people to plug in. We've been doing a lot of work um, to really organize ourselves and prepare ourselves for the, the long term fight. So now is a great time for people to plug in. Um, we do we have an inside outside program going on that involves um, letter writing and visitation, um, working with people inside. We would invite people to get involved in that. We partner with Anti-Police Terror Project to do jail support where we hang out outside the jail and meet people as they're being released and, you know, assist them with the basic support that they need, whether that's um, a ride, a cell phone, um, shoes, warm clothes, a warm beverage... Um, so we're just doing a lot of building right now, knowing that, that this is going to be a long-haul fight and continuing conversations with the county about what they're going to do to reduce the population and hold the sheriff accountable. And we're also extremely aware that we have a county election um, where the the composition of the board could become a bit more progressive, which would be politically interesting.
1: So are you... Getting involved with the elections as well.
2: Decarcerate is not explicitly endorsing specific candidates at this time or anything like that. But we're participating in community forums. Um, we've had individuals reach out to us um, to have a, a dialogue, and we're interested in being in these public spaces and posing questions to, you know, our potential elected officials about if they were elected, what they would do to safely and significantly reduce the jail population, um, to see if, you know, they're somebody that we could get behind.
1: And, um, I was wondering how you guys think we should, uh, go about significantly reducing the jail population, um, because it seems like that's a multifaceted problem.
0: In order to decrease the jail population, there needs to be a, a less stricter criteria on arrests. Um, it's not uh, illegal to be homeless. It's not illegal to have no place to sleep. And it's uh, not illegal to have mental problems. And uh, if they would, you know, if we had other community resources, community-based resources to take these people to, um, the jail would depopulate by a great amount.
2: Absolutely. And and we, like I said, we want to see the county set some sort of goal, like we can reduce the population by X amount by this time. And when you look at the reality of who's sitting in our jails, it's vast majority pretrial. It's vast majority people who are legally presumed innocent, often can't afford bail. And vast majority, I believe the number is 60%, at least, who have a diagnosed, um, mental illness and we all know what happens when you have mental illness and you're in a jail setting um, it will ex- exacerbate it to extreme levels and so pre-trial reform is absolutely necessary that's a big conversation across the state right now um, perhaps don't have the space to fully get into it right now but we've been monitoring a pretrial release pilot program that's currently happening under probation Um, and sort of what we feared is exactly what's happening, which is despite the name pretrial release, people are not getting released, or if they are getting released, um, they're ending up with all kinds of conditions that criminalize them or threaten to criminalize them um, while they're still pretrial, and we truly believe that that pretrial services should not be run by a law enforcement agency.
1: Well, it's interesting you bring that up uh, one of the counties that we cover uh, is San Francisco and San Francisco's new da just implemented a new pretrial release program so they're they're completely ending cash bail and then the question is going to be well who gets released who gets uh, released and monitored and then who has to stay in in custody and so of course you know in a place like San Francisco it's going to be fairly uh, progressive in terms of their assessment. Somewhere like Sacramento, it may not be.
2: Exactly. And, and risk assessment tools are something we've been urging county officials to educate themselves about. Um, San Francisco is a good example because they house pre-trial services in a completely independent department that's run by a community-based organization. And this isn't you know to get personal it's just commonsensical that this sort of diversion program is not housed with a law enforcement agency and it's proven to be effective in san francisco and uh, chesa Boudin, yes the new da is both eliminating cash bail which we support but is also moving away from risk assessment tools because risk assessment tools are fraught with problems uh racial bias and that's what we're seeing here in sacramento and it's it's pretty scary um how it still manages to lock people into the system despite the euphemistic name
1: have you guys had a chance to look into any of the in custody deaths uh yet because that's uh you know you mentioned 10 people in custody which seems like a very high number for a place like sacramento county and uh you know, a few of them have been well-publicized, but most have not.
2: Yes, and that is another scary example of really what happens when there's a total lack of oversight. And there are a lot of people in the community right now who are having a conversations about this to try to figure out how we can get more information, you know, how we can reach out to the family members of these folks if if. They're around here in Sacramento and how we can, you know, first get more information and second, use that information to hold the sheriff's department accountable for the people that, you know, they're not caring for in their custody. But you're absolutely right. It's extremely difficult to get information. Um, We've showed up to the board of supervisors in solidarity with the family of Antonio Thomas, um, who was put into a coma after a brief stint in the jail, Um, and recently passed away. Rest in peace and power. Um, And we're looking forward to just supporting his family. I mean, they're really, um, that's one of the 10 deaths, but they're really fighting for the information that they deserve. And they said that they will not stop until they're able to get that.
0: I just want to share one of my own experiences. Uh, I've been incarcerated before, and um, I'm thinking uh, one of the reasons why, it's hard to gather such information is because nobody wants to talk about it. it uh, obviously, the sheriff's department doesn't want to talk about it, but um, I've witnessed myself um, inmates being beaten by sheriffs, and as soon as it starts to happen, all the sheriffs will demand that everybody turns around and do not look because if you look, you will get beat as well. Um A few hours later, I was in the release tank, and everybody that was in the release tank um, was told that they had to sign a form indicating that they had not seen any abuse in the jail at all. Or if we refused to sign it, we would go to the left as everybody went to the right to be released. I know one person that did go to the left because he was the guy that was abused. I later seen him on the street. And he told me he was there for another eight hours um, because he filed the complaint. So, I mean, for those that are, were wanting to get out real you know, urgently and stuff like that, of course, they're going to sign those, those papers to get out. So that might be part of why we're having problems gathering some information. But it's out there, and it will be found.
2: And thank you for bringing that up, Robert, because the retaliation, I think, is a – a huge factor. And so the more we can shine a light on this, the more that we can collectively pay attention to this, let the sheriff's department, the county, and most importantly, the people inside know that we're actively have eyes on this, um, I think is really crucial right now.
1: Yeah. And I think you guys bring up a good point because I I didn't spend a lot of time in, in the jail. I, I was simply at the jail court. And just in the course of my conversation with people, I heard horrific stories i mean one woman was trying to get an extra blanket and and they end up beating her because she asked for a blanket somebody else had a headache and was asking for uh tylenol or something and they deprived her food for for a huge amount of time i mean the conditions were were tremendously bad um and then a lot of these people they end up getting hit or beat by the by the guards and then they're left on the floor and, and they don't get medical attention for 24 hours. And so that that just compounds the problem.
0: That just brought to mind uh, a thought of when a person is incarcerated and they're in their cell, there's an emergency button in that room. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are told to only push it during emergencies. Well, some people have a different idea of what an emergency is. Some people may be freaking out. You know, they, they may need medical attention. And it's been my experience, if you do hit that red button, you'll be uh, subject to further discipline. So, I mean, it kind of makes no sense to even have the button in there. It's really it's just a, a trouble button.
2: Yeah, well said, trouble button. And I think every aspect of the system is designed to be punitive. Um, and so any seeking of help, you know, I spoke to a woman who was celled with a woman that passed away in the jail due to medical neglect this fall and she was pressing that red button over and over and over again um, and was told to wait for pill call to take pills um, when she actually had a medical condition going on that required you know actual medical treatment um, and they really don't like to transfer people out for that or they you know they're already seeing people in a dehumanized light and so they won't they won't come to help them, and even worse, they'll, they'll use their vulner- vulnerability against them.
1: So um, I'm curious uh, how people can get involved in Decarcerate Sacramento.
2: If people want to get involved in Decarcerate Sacramento, um, the community meeting this Thursday is a great opportunity for that. Um, you can hear an overview of what we've been up to, where we're headed, and get plugged into working groups. Um, so if you're interested in media, if you're interested in advocacy um, at the Board of Supervisors, if you're interested in connecting with people inside, if you're already connected with people inside and have loved ones inside, we need to hear from you and and want to support you. And if you can't, make it to this meeting next Thursday. Uh, We will continue to have those, but you can reach out on social media. We're on Facebook, Decarcerate Sacramento. Um, On Instagram, Decarcerate underscore Sacramento. You can email us at decarceratesac at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from anyone who's interested in learning more.
1: And how many people are involved right now?
2: That's a great question. I would say... We have a kind of solid group of core organizers. That's maybe 12 to 15 people. Um, And people are coming into that space as representatives of other organizations as well because um, the topic of decarceration really kind of touches everything. So we have the Sacramento Tenants Union, like Robert mentioned, if, if we would actually provide affordable housing and shelter for people um, we could immediately reduce the jail population. We have Anti-Police Terror Project, um, Sacramento Act. And I would say our network is so much larger, our sort of base of people. I mean, we send out a newsletter to, to hundreds of people pretty regularly. Um, and Anti-Police Terror Project, one of our partners, I just want to uplift them one more time because as far as what the alternatives look like, You know, it's clear what we don't want, but what we do want, what's possible. They just launched a project called MH First, Mental Health First. And it's a community-based crisis hotline that does not involve law enforcement. They're open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And these are teams of three people. There's always a medical professional involved who can respond to people who are in crisis. You can reach out to them via text. You can call them. It's a mobile unit. They will come meet you where you're at. Um, And they can help with you know, when people are in mental health crisis, if people need safety planning around domestic violence issues. And it's just incredible work. And it's really changing the conversation about what's possible. So while we try to work with the county to change our budget priorities and decarcerate, um, people are doing incredible work and, and aren't waiting around for what we really need.
1: Well, I always think it's incredible how a relatively small group of people uh, can can make such a big difference. I mean you know, a a core group of 12 to 15 people uh, stopped a jail expansion in Sacramento. I mean, that's a pretty incredible accomplishment. I know you guys got honored for that uh, at the NLG thing a couple of weeks ago, well-deserved. So I I, I just wanted to point that out. And then I guess the last thing I want to ask is kind of talk about the decarceration movement in general across the country and how what your work is kind of fits into that.
2: Well, one moment where, you know, you really knew this was national is on November 5th when the board voted and canceled the project. Finally, this project had also been in the works since 2014. We got calls from people in New York who were fighting jail expansion there, um, people in Alameda County, Um, people in Colorado, people in a group called Decarcerate Utah. Um, So this is really something that is happening on a national level. Um, And we know that when things move in California, um, you know, we can also shake things up nationally. But like I said, we are riding on, you know, the powerful shoulders of people in Los Angeles and San Francisco who had already canceled their plans. Um, Los Angeles is really trying to move in an entirely different direction when it comes to... Uh, public safety. They are working on uh, pre-trial release work that focuses on the presumption of innocence um, and doesn't kind of entangle people into the system in more invisible ways. And I think that's something people really need to pay attention to right now is um, even if county officials or the sheriff are talking the talk about reforms or wanting to provide better care, we know deeply um, that better care means not being in the hands of the sheriff's department.
0: Well, um, if you have a Twitter account, go to Twitter and go to the search box and punch in decarcerate. You will see that it is a movement that's uh, happening all across the United States and uh, most of the states, and they can give you a, a good idea of what decarceration is all about.
1: Yeah, I've been talking to progressive prosecutor candidates across the country for the last month. And, uh, you know, the buzzword is now decarceration. Um, you know, for a while it was mass incarceration and now they've kind of flipped it on its head. So it's interesting to, uh, to watch the evolution of language and, and how these terms have evolved uh, to fit the movement. So I want to see if you guys had any closing thoughts
2: Well, I like the terminology of decarceration and yes, people actually know what you're talking about now typically when you say that, but it's an active word. What we're doing is, is very active and it's not just about what we don't want or being in opposition to something, but really seeing the possibilities and knowing that we can do better and knowing that Sacramento deserves better. Um, you know, yes, it's reform, but we're not talking about a band-aid or repackaging the system you know so it can trick us into thinking that it's doing something different when it never has and really decarcerating really preventing people from coming into contact with the system to begin with and if they're in there figuring out you know the best way to safely and significantly reduce the population and changing the county's budget priorities you know that's our our tax dollars and our resources and we really want to encourage all types of people to get involved in this it is you know a tiny grassroots movement that grew into something bigger we you know meet in people's living rooms um and really have each other's backs as far as what makes it possible for us to do this work together
0: i would just like to be clear that we're not anti-police we're anti-bad police one bad encounter with a police officer could change one's di- whole. T- could change a person's whole trajectory in life. Um, I say that with our youth in mind, especially with the high school to prison pipeline. You know, um, kids get kicked out of school. They feel they have nobody left, and they turn to gangs. Gangs will make them feel loved and and furnish them with things that. Um, They've probably never had. Next thing you know, they're on their way to prison or jail or on probation, surveillance. And it doesn't have to be like that. Uh, as a community, we can stand up and stop this stuff. But, but we have to stand up together as such.
1: Well, this has been every day injustice. I want to thank. Courtney and Robert for coming in to our studio. We're, we're used to having people calling in from all across the country. And here, here we're highlighting the great work that's being done right across the river from where we stand, decarcerate Sacramento. It's much needed work. Uh, they were able to, just with a few months of work, uh, stop an 85, $89 million jail expansion plan. And, you know, as I mentioned during our conversation, you know, it it took us about 10 minutes in, in the Sacramento jail court to realize that there's a much bigger problem than what is being reported. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales of injustice.